0: Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Those who are going to little worship can be dismissed at this time. And if you're staying in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles, Romans 8, 28 through 30. Of course, it's also there in your uh, bulletin, uh, Romans 8, 28 through 30. So this morning, uh, we're finishing out our time in our housekeeping series. Um, had a lot of people say, hey, we've enjoyed this series. It's always fun to you know grab these verses that have kind of been taken out of context and put them back into their context and see what the promises of God actually are. Um, so as of Next week, we'll be back in our series through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, remember, the, the theme is that we may be certain of the gospel promises as we're going through Luke. and So every summer, um, we'll, we'll continue to keep doing these uh, series that work best in kind of a one-off uh, way, because I know there's lots of people traveling, and so it's easy to dip in and dip out and not feel like you've mess, missed the context of an entire series. So this, this morning, um, I'm pulling pretty heavily from Eric Bargerhuff, uh, Ray Cortez, and really just some sermons that I've preached already before. But um, this morning, <laughs> we come to what has been called uh, one of the locus classicus uh, in the Bible, which just means when it comes to this particular topic, uh, this is the classic text. Like This is the one that everybody goes to. Um, and to top it off, this is one of the most well-known passages in all the Bible, right? Which <laughs> begs the question, why would we need to deal with this verse in our housekeeping series? Well, it's, it's not so much that this passage is blatantly misunderstood, though it definitely can be, and we're going to talk about that. But for us, I feel like the, the, it's mainly because at the end of the day, this passage just isn't believed, uh, it's easy to, to know this passage in our minds, to, you know, to memorize it, and yet live our lives as though this passage doesn't even exist. Um, you know, to be professing Jesus' followers and yet live our lives as though we do not have a Heavenly Father who cares for us. And, and so it's very easy, and look, I'm chief of sinners here, to, 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 believe, to read this and then to go out and live our lives out in you know, the wild as a functional atheist. Filled with worry, filled with fear. And you know we, we worry thinking that we don't have a Heavenly Father. Um, filled with fear. And, and so look, I, I don't want to straw man this because for many people, this topic this morning is immensely raw, very personal. And this is also the number one reason people leave the church, we're finding. Uh, of course, there's intellectual doubts. There's other things that happen in life. Just, you know, views on the Bible that happen. But by and large, people leave the church because, you know, the idea of God sovereignly working all things for good is easy to receive as a child. Of course, everything's good. God's doing all good things. Um, But then, uh, you know, as we live life, the longer we live in this fallen world, the more pain and suffering crush us. And the more we experience heartbreak and pain, it's very easy to have a very challenging time With that old saying that can be so naively thrown around Christian circles—that God's good all the time—and all the time God's what? God's good. You're like, come on! Um, You know, when we misunderstand this passage, it's only natural to wonder, like, like, good? (laughs) What? Like, how can God be good with all this evil and suffering in this world? You know, you think about this last few weeks, Eastern Kentucky has been ravaged by the worst flood on record there, right? I mean, they're still finding bodies to this day. And this week, I don't know if y'all saw USA Today ran a story about uh, Jessica Willett, who as the waters were coming down into her what they call holler, um, she cut the electric cord off of her vacuum cleaner, she tied it around her waist, and then she also tied it around her kids as well, her two children, so that if the authorities found just one of them in all the rubble, they would find all of them. I mean, can you imagine like, the fear and the heartbreak you know, as the water's coming down into the holler of tying that cord around yourself and your children, not knowing if you're going to make it out alive. And it's like, where was God in that? I mean, how could eastern Kentucky floods wiping entire communities off the map ever be good? How could the gang violence in South Greenwood ever be good? You know, what's good about that? How could childhood cancer, how could the pain of miscarriage, how could the pain of infertility, how could the economy hitting a recession, arguably, um, just as you're retiring and your portfolio takes a huge hit? Just when you need it, right? How could the doctor saying the cancer has returned? Or how could the doctor saying there's nothing more we can do but call in palliative care? I mean, you know, how could those things possibly be good? And are we just being naive to say that? Or are we on another planet? You know, we live in a world where there's a a bumper sticker that says it much more poignantly than I'm able to say in this setting. But we live in a world where well, bad things happen, right? Um, And when we misunderstand or forget the promise of this passage, it's very easy, even for you know, for Christians, to live with a general sense of fear, and anxiety, worry over all that could go wrong. You know, again, that's that functional atheism. That you know, couples become pregnant, and, and yes, we're they're excited, but there's a low-grade fear over will the baby make it full term, right? Um, what, what's the market going to do? What's the weather going to do? What can the nation be built back better? Like, like, what if? What if? What if? What if? What if? Right. But what if I told you that a proper understanding of our passage this morning frees you, it frees you up from all that? And not with a weak, puffy feel-goodism either, but it calls you back with a robust reminder of just who our God is. And that, you know, As VeggieTales puts it, that our God is bigger than the boogeyman. Whoever or whatever your boogeyman is. That you don't have to live in fear. Or anxiety, you don't have to be afraid. So, with all that, let's pray, and then we'll we'll dig in. Let's pray, Father. This morning, I confess that I can be often anxious and worried and fearful. Um, But Lord, even as we go through this, remind us of your your word. This is fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, Father, may, as we go through this, your spirit come and cause us not to be fearful, not to be anxious, but to remember that you, uh, you are sovereign. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Romans eight twenty eight through 30, very familiar passage. This is God's word. He says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to God's purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is God's Word. So as as we call in housekeeping this morning, just really two things we we need to be reminded of. And the, the first thing is it, and briefly is that it's helpful to remember who paul is talking to here like who is this promise to um and then second we'll see all right what is the promise then so first and again briefly who um as much as we wish that this promise is something that, that that's for everybody that you know all things will be worked for good for everybody that's just not the case Paul explicitly says that there is a specific group of people, very specific group of people who can claim this promise. He says, it is for those who love God. That's the ESV's translation of it. Put it another way, it is for those whom the Lord has loved and whom the Lord has saved by his grace. Uh, It it is for those, it is for you, whom God is working all things together for good. And and so I, I don't know how else to say it, but to say it this way, if you are not in Christ, then, then your life right here, right now, as messed up as it may be at times, this is as good as it gets. Um, things are only going to get worse for you. So this is not, this is not just a general promise for, for all of the world, um, but this is for those in whom Christ in you is your hope of glory. So this is a promise that you can claim. If you are in Christ you have the privilege to claim this promise. Okay? Which then brings us to the rest of our sermon. All right, what is it that we're claiming? Like, like what, what is this promise? Well, it's that you can know something um, as a believer. So could could part of our issues with fear and anxiety and worry, could it be that we're so taken by the trivial possibly? You know, because we know things like the pitching rotation of our favorite team. Uh, we, we know things like the, the newest recruits of our favorite team. For some reason that continue to, uh, for reasons that continue to escape me, and I hope it escapes all of y'all, that we, we always seem to know what still is going on with the Kardashians, right? Every single week. Like, who cares? Um, we know that, you know, this week Demi Lovato has once again changed pronouns. Like, we know that, Right? Like, like we, we know all this stuff, but do we know God? Do we know God as he is revealed in, well, as he reveals himself on his terms? Because here Paul says, look, you want to know something? Here's something you got to know. Here's something we can know. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And this is speaking to God's sovereignty, right? It's uh, Ray Cortese said, that if, if we're going through the buffet of God's attributes, all the things that, that describe God, all that God is, we're going through the buffet line, then his sovereignty would be the carving station, right? In our, in our world with a fellowship meals, it's like God's sovereignty is the chicken at the end, right? That we, we get, right? Everybody wants the chicken. Um, it's something that we all get to sink our teeth into. And so the fact that God is sovereign means God's in charge, it means that this is our father's world and that he's the boss. It, it all belongs to him. okay, But how many of you believe that? How many of you actually live your life like you like believe that God is utterly sovereign? Um, that he is in charge of everything that happens in, in every life? Because you know it's super common or it's sometimes common to hear well-meaning people, Christians even, in the face of tragedy, say something like, well, God had, God had nothing to do with that. Or like, God had no part in that. How could God ever have any part in that? And if that was the case, really, I mean, who would even want to follow a God who had nothing to do? Like, would you even want to follow that God who, who was completely uninvolved and unaware of some of the biggest and most painful events in your life? I mean, can you even call that a God? Now, from the very beginning of Scripture, we see that one of the things that makes Yahweh, that makes our God different, is that he is utterly sovereign. You know, Moses led God's people out of slavery in Egypt. And and in Egypt, you know, they had all sorts of gods. They had the sun god, and the moon god, and the river Nile god, the crocodile god. And so Moses, in writing Genesis, he did so under the inspiration of Yahweh. So that God's people would see that, no, no, in the beginning, like God created, like God created the Nile and God created the sun and like God created all these things that everybody else is worshiping as God, that God is the creator. And so if there was, if there was so much as one maverick molecule in the universe, then God would not be God. So God knows every particle, God there's no such thing as a rogue cancer cell that, that caught God by surprise. I like everything. God is in charge even of what we would call chance. You know, Proverbs 16 says that the lot or the, the die is cast in the lap of the Lord or it's cast in the lap, uh, but it's every decision is is of the Lord. Right? See so God tells us that there are no such things as accidents. Uh, there's no such thing as luck, that nothing is random. And now uh, someone mentioned that that there was another Presbyterian, you know, Presbyterians, we can be intense about some things. Presbyterian church that took this to the nth degree, and instead of having church pot luck dinners, they started having pot sovereignty dinners, right? Because God knows what God knows what you're going to bring. We don't, but God does. Um, there's, this, uh, there's this great story, and I think I've shared this before, but it's, it's a great story about this old battleship that was out on a training exercise. Uh, and uh, the weather was so bad, the fog was so thick, that the captain had to stay in the bridge overnight to kind of keep an eye on things. And uh, after dark, one of the lookouts called out. He said, there's light bearing on the starboard bow. The captain called out, is it steady or moving astern? And the lookout replied, it's steady, captain. Which, of course, meant that they could be on a collision course with another ship in, in the fog. And so the captain called to his signal men. He said, Signal that ship. He says, We are on a collision course. Advise you change course 20 degrees. And the signal came back. Advisable that you change course 20 degrees. Well, the captain, of course, was taken aback. And he said, Send this message. I'm a captain. Change course 20 degrees. And the message immediately came back. I'm Seaman Second Class Jones. You better change your course 20 degrees. Well, this, this made the captain furious. He said, how, how, how about this message? I'm a battleship. You change your course 20 degrees. To which the message came back, I'm a lighthouse. I suggest you change your course, right? Um, you know, you've got to respect the lighthouse, right, when you're on the ocean in the fog. Um, all right, God's the lighthouse. He's the constant. Like, you you, you bend around him, right? Um, he's in charge. And so Paul says, that's the first thing we know, that we can know that God is sovereign, that God is in charge. And, and what's, y'all notice what Paul did not say, because this is what I want to know. Paul didn't say, and we know how God works all things, because we want to know how. He, Paul didn't say that we know why God works all things. You, many of us may... May die not knowing how or why God is doing good in some of the stuff in our life. But Paul says, what we can know is every single second of every single day, God is taking all things you know, everything, every hurt, uh, every joy, that He is taking the good, the bad, the ugly, the, the job raises, the cancer diagnosis, the heartbreak, the miscarriages. And God is working, what, what things does it say? All, all things. He, he's weaving all things in our lives into this beautiful tapestry for His glory. Um, so uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we saw the Hodges at What's Cooking, and uh, Wit was on a on phone, and Wit was doing one of those color-by-number games, uh, I guess it's an app, color-by-number things, And so I kind of looked over at the screen and and I thought, wow, it's, I mean, it was just one big screen of yellow. It was just yellow picture. I was like, man, um, not much of a picture there. You're you're coloring it all yellow. Good job. Um, But come to find out, Witt was, he was zoomed in super tight on this picture so that he could color in all these fine intricacies of his masterpiece. And when he zoomed back out, like way out, to show me what he was actually doing, uh, it was this, you could argue, I guess, a, a beautiful uh, Pokemon character. This beautiful, ornate, intricate Pokemon uh, design. And um, I was like, I did not see that coming. <laughs> but it's beautiful. Good job, Whit. All right. That, I mean, I don't know if that's a better illustration of what it's like. Because so, so often, we're just too close to it. Like we're too close to the pain, aren't we? We're too close to the suffering. It's, 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 our vision is too limited. All we can see is, is that. We're too limited to see all that God is doing in the pain. And sometimes all we can see is yellow. Or br- sometimes like our lives, can it's just gray. It's just all I can see is just gray. And sometimes that's all we can feel. And we say, how could God possibly make good of all this gray? All the while, if we had God's perspective, we could see that He is creating a masterpiece. Okay? And we may not even see that in this life, but one day we will see this reality come true. Okay? So God is sovereignly working all things for good. One day we'll see it. Which then <laughs> brings us to a, another issue we can have here with this verse. It's God's definition of good is different from most of our definitions of good, right? I mean, you know, Good to me, I'm sure good to us is, is different things, right? I mean, good to me is singing with my daughter Sophie. That's, that's good, right, Sophie? It's playing Fortnite with Jude. Like, that's, that's good. It's, it's dancing to David Gray uh, with, with Annie. I mean, that's just, that's good, right? But we, we see here um, what God's up to. That, that good to God is, is not about earthly success. That good to God is not about perfect health even. But good to God is, is being made more like Jesus, So in other words, if you want to know what God is about, he is about forming us into the family likeness. That's what he calls a win. That's God's good definition. So Paul's saying, and as great as that is, that we we, we can know that, that's what he's doing in us. But what's amazing is that we we can't even goof that up. (laughs) Um, I can't goof that up. Because another part of the promise is knowing that God in his sovereignty... That God has decided, not, not us. It's verses 29 through 30. For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He justified. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. See so you if, if, if you belong to God, it's not as that song goes It's not because you have decided to follow Jesus, right? But because God made a decision to call you. And God made a decision to set his love on on you, which is really what foreknew means. Um, You know, speaking of definitions, having, you know, they're they're very important that we have the definitions from last week. Uh, Because many see this word foreknowledge in the Bible, God foreknew. And take it to mean that God, before the foundation of the world, way, way back, before the foundation of the world, that he looked into the future and, and he saw um, who was going to make a decision to believe in him. And then in retrospect, after seeing that in the future, he wrote your name down in the Lamb's book of life. And so God, God knew, God saw who was going to be the wisest of us. He saw who was going to do the best work out there by placing their faith in his grace. And, and so based on what their decision was, God chose them, right? So that's, m- most Arminians are very comfortable with that version of what this verse is talking about. Uh, that God predestined based on the foreknowledge that he had of our decision. Okay. Um, and I've, obviously, you know, we're a Reformed church, so I, I, go, I know I'm like preaching to the home crowd here, but um, that, that that's, we're not even going into the fact that Ephesians says that faith does not come from within us. It's not our faith. It is a gift from God that God gives us faith. Um, but even to our passage, I mean, that's just not even what foreknowledge means in the Bible. Like It's just not what it means. In Hebrew, in the Hebrew world in which this was written in, um, to, to know something isn't to oh intellectually know or to look into the future and see um, to, to know means to love. You know when Adam knew Eve, it's not that he it, it didn't mean that he knew she existed or that Adam somehow figured out all there is to know about women. Um, no, it, it means that he he saw her and he loved her intimately, that he loved her. So so foreknowledge, using the the biblical language, not the like twenty first century definition, but the biblical definition foreknowledge means that God set His love on His people before the foundation of the world, and so <laughs> that's how unable you are to save yourself. Like, like that's how out of the picture you are. Like before there was like time, God God loved you back back then, and so He then predestined us. He determined our end from the beginning. Then He. In love, He called us, which which means that that thing that that stirred your heart at you know at church camp or at a revival or a particular worship service or wherever you know um, that that caused you to believe in Jesus that that drew you near that that wasn't you making a decision for the Lord, but God sovereignly wooing you to Himself and God calling you in. And, and I, I know some will say, "But what about my free will? I thought I had free will." And Well, by grace, God changes your will, okay? Um, So for those whom he calls, he also justifies, which means in Christ, you know how you can be part of a family, but you're kind of the black sheep of the family. You know, it's like you're in the family, you get invited to the stuff, but nobody really likes you and you're kind of, it's awkward, right? So what this means is not only does he call you and adopt you and like bring you in, but like once you're in, like you're, you're good. Like it is just as though you have never sinned like christ's righteousness is given to you you are justified um and then he says those whom he justified he also glorified and i love that that glorified is in the past tense because it's as if if you're in god if you're in christ then there's no drama in this it's as good as a done deal um Again, this is Cortese. He said that, you know, if you see, you've heard the expression, if you see a turtle on the fence post, what do you know? Um, well, it didn't get there by itself, right? Um, well, in the same way, if you see yourself in the family of God, what do you know? Um, we well, you know that God did it, right? You know that that you, you're just the turtle on a fence post. God put you there. And so Christians argue that believing this doctrine here, it hinders evangelism, when in reality, I argue it, it motivates it. Uh, because if, if, God's, if it's God's work and it's God's choice and it's God's doing, then like, what does it matter how hard somebody's heart is? And what, is it, what does it matter? Like We don't have to shy away. We, we can just talk about Jesus. Just give, give them you know, the good news. And if God wants them in his family, then by golly, he is going to bring them into his family. I mean, he brought, he brought you in, right? He brought me in. I mean, who can he not bring in? Um, so we can know that God is sovereign. We can know that whom God calls, that he gets home. Like he brings them all the way home. And we can know that he is working what things? All the good things? No, he's working all things for the good of his people. And, and that's not some just weak, saw, feel-good promise. Like we, we may know that, And we can trust that because we've already seen God do this, right? You know, at the cross, God took the greatest tragedy there is, the greatest evil. I mean, Jesus was, God was killed, right? And through the resurrection, he worked even that for our good. I mean, like on a cosmic level, the worst thing that could ever happen. And if God was at work for your good on that day in history, then how much more can you trust him to be sovereignly at work today in your life, Um, even even our worst days, completely, complete trust. So friends, God is utterly sovereign, which means he can do whatever he pleases. And by grace, what he pleases to do is in Christ, give you his love. So what can we know, Uh, Westminster? We didn't read this verse, but this is Paul's, he, he gets to this argument in Romans 8. Paul says, we can know, and rest in this, that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, again, may this reality uh, through your Spirit squelch the fear, squelch the anxiety, the worries, And may we rest solely uh, beneath your wings, um, knowing that whatever befalls us is first filtered through the hands of a loving, gracious, merciful God. And though we don't always know how, we will not know why, um, but we can know that you are working all things uh, for the good of your people. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.